Hello and welcome to edition number 1980 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 28th of September 2023. I'm Jean, the edition's editor. Beside me at the recording controls is Graham Dicon. All of our items today are from the Whitney Gazette. Our four readers are Debbie Diacon, Alan Ravel, Barbara Barringer and Adam Lethbridge. Our first four stories are all about road transport. Debbie will be reading about parking in Woodstock. Yes, and the headline is Disbelief Over Staggering Profits from Parking Fees. A councillor said the amount of money Oxfordshire County Council has brought in from parking charges introduced in Woodstock just three months ago is, quote-unquote, quite staggering. Liam Walker, County Councillor for the Hamborough and Minster Level Division and Shadow Cabinet Member for Highway Management, said motorists were being milked. He said hammering motorists in this way is all about creating revenue for the council, as we've seen with Woodstock. The charges have already generated just over £31,000 and over 500 parking tickets have been issued. So clearly something isn't working right. The introduction of three-hour pay and display bays and ultra-short bays, which are free for half an hour, plus permit parking areas in Woodstock Town Centre, proved highly divisive, with many saying it would harm businesses in the tourist hotspot. In a public consultation, over 50% objected to the paid parking bays, and the feedback on permit holder parking varied depending on whether resident respondents were based in Woodstock or outside. A town poll in which 404 of those who took part voted against the charges and just 54 were in favour. Mr Walker said, While some want us to believe charging for parking was all about creating a churn of cars for the businesses, what it's resulted in is people deterred from shopping in the town. However, Andy Graham, County Councillor for the Woodstock Division, disagreed and said the lack of effective enforcement has caused chaos in the town for more than 15 years. He told the Oxford Mail, It shows how effective the enforcement now is in Woodstock, when inaction by the Tories previously in charge was so laid back it resulted in the chaos and lack of car park spaces that adversely affected businesses and tourists and locals. Now the new car parking scheme has changed all that. Locals and others get free parking for the first hour and those breaking the rules are paying the penalty. He added the car park in Hensington Road, whilst largely full in peak times, remains free. The income generated so far helps to pay the cost of the scheme. It's a balanced approach that has been largely welcomed. Secondly, Alan will read about disability bays in Whitney. Yes, the headline on this story is Town Disability Bays Could Become Delivery Spaces. 
And the story reads, unused disabled parking spaces may be converted to loading bays after shops said there was nowhere left for deliveries. The Shake Shop is on a section of Whitney High Street that was closed to private vehicles in December 2020. At the same time, the 30-minute short-stay parking bays along the western side of Market Square were converted to to disabled parking spaces. Co-owner of the Shake Shop, Debbie Hackett, said the nearest designated loading bay is now half a mile away and the road situation was a constant stress and bad for business. Ms Hackett said deliveries were taking five times too long as drivers were being told they could not use the bays right outside the shop, even though they are rarely used. Instead, they were directed by traffic wardens higher up on the street on the opposite side. Since the issue was first raised by the Whitney Gazette, it has been confirmed officers are looking at converting some disabled parking spaces into loading bays. Councillor Andrew Gant, Cabinet Member for Highway Management, said Officers have discussed options to provide more loading facilities on Market Square, which would involve converting existing disabled persons' parking by way of an experimental order. This would allow the Council to monitor the effect of the order before recommending any permanent changes. Responding to a written question from Shadow Cabinet Member for Highway Management, Liam Walker, he added, Presently, we are currently running an engagement and feedback exercise with the local community on future changes to the High Street and Market Square. We will look at the responses received with particular regard to disabled users' requirements balanced against the needs of business accessing properties. Mr Walker told the Oxford Mail, this really isn't a complicated matter and I'm surprised this far down the line with the high street being restricted that businesses are still having issues with traffic wardens. The council needs to simply mark some bays for loading or unloading by Sandwich to Whitney so it's clear where drivers can park. That said... The confirmation I have now received from the council does helpfully make it clear drivers have 10 minutes to stop on the single yellow line, but clearly more time is needed for larger deliveries. The coalition need to listen to these high street businesses and stop ignoring these genuine concerns. Asked if he thought there were too many blue badge bays in the town, he added, I do think there is sufficient accessible parking in the town with there being plenty of bays in the Walgate car park. story about F1 facilities in Enston is read by Barbara. Yes, that's right. F1 team backed by film stars gets permission for Jim. Alpine F1 racing team have been given the go-ahead to build a new gym and additional offices and laboratories at their UK headquarters in Oxfordshire. West Oxfordshire District Council has granted planning permission for a two-storey extension linked to existing ESO building at its base at Whiteways Technical Centre in Enstone, near Chipping Norton. The old gym is a timber-clad building which is nearing the end of its life and it will be demolished. The extension Oh, sorry, the extension will contain an improved replacement gymnasium and welfare facilities. 
office space, laboratories and storage space. There will be undercroft car parking for nine vehicles, solar panels on the roof and a new roof access, roof lights and a roof-mounted plant area. The site off an unclassified road called Chew Lane became an F1 engineering site in the 1990s. In June, Hollywood stars Ryan Reynolds and Rob McEnery took a 25% stake in the team. The actors, who are also co-owners of Wrexham FC, were among investors who ploughed $200 million into the team. Alpine Racing was formerly known as the Renault F1 team, but was rebranded in 2021 to promote Renault's sports car brand, Alpine. A planning statement said the proposals supports their continued pursuance of a competitive advantage in a rapidly developing sport. Adam will now read about a motoring museum. So here's some more motoring news from Enston. And the headline of this one is Motoring Museum Given Green Light. The 43 conditions attached to planning permission for a £150 million motoring museum have been revealed. Plans to create a museum, members club and holiday homes at the driving centre at Enston Airfield on the Great Tew Estate have been at the centre of a years-long row with neighbours. The project was originally spearheaded by Peter W. Mullin, an American classic car collector. His first application faced more than 180 objections and was withdrawn in 2018. New designs for the museum, plus 28 holiday lodges, were then drawn up by world-famous architect Norman Foster. Again, this was strongly opposed by locals with concerns over increased traffic and noise. Robert Davey from Swerford wrote, This development will completely change a rural area bringing noise pollution from a track used 312 days a year, light pollution, overcrowded roads, blocked roads on the 10 days of events, even more holiday homes and not homes for residents. However, it was given outlining planning permission in 2020. In March 2023, a new application, including a second exhibition building and increasing the number of luxury holiday homes and farmsteads, from 28 to 56 was submitted, but made them smaller. This was approved by West Oxfordshire District Council, despite more than 300 objections. The decision notice, which has just been published, imposes 43 conditions on the developers, which includes limiting the number of vehicles visiting the museum to a maximum of 200. All visitors must have pre-booked and will be let in three times a day in sessions of at least two hours. The museum will be allowed to open for six days a week. It must provide information about public transport and routes in its holiday homes, including maps and timetables, as well as walking and cycling routes within the local area. No more than five two-day events can take place in the museum's concourse a year, and none of those can use amplified music or fireworks. And an exercise track for displaying and running classic cars must only be used between 9am and 6pm on days when the museum is open to the public. 
Mr. Mullin, who runs a similar car museum in California, spent 30 years working on the project. He told planners, My great-grandchildren will probably never drive a motor car, at least not as we know it. Instead, they will travel in secure, autonomous pods by a computer. However, the project has reportedly since been sold to fellow American classic car collector Ronald Burkle, owner of the Soho House Group, which runs nearby Soho Farmhouse. Uh, the next article has a big picture of eight girls all dressed in pink uh, in cheerleader outfits, and it's entitled Whitney in Pink Returns. Whitney in Pink will be back this year on Saturday, September 30th. Over the years, it has raised more than £250,000 towards the vital research work of the Abingdon-based charity against breast cancer. The town will be festooned with many hundreds of pink, biodegradable balloons, while the shops and businesses are invited to follow suit by decorating their shop windows with prizes awarded for the best. The town will rock to the sounds of singers and musicians, including the WOPA, West Oxfordshire Academy of Performing Arts Choir, Rock Choir, Bugs, Ukuleles, Abbey Sax and Horns of Plenty. Along with a tin collection, there will be a prize tombola, handmade craft stall, cake stall and the annual pink car parade through the town centre. The event will be opened by the town mayor, Owen Collins, at 10am and the fun lasts until 4pm. My story is illustrated with a rather less pleasing picture. It's a, a giant catfish laying um, on the bank of a lake uh, accompanied by the angler who fished it out of the water. So the story, re or the headline reads, Lake Angler Catches Record 112-pound Catfish. And the story reads, An angler reeled in an enormous 112-pound catfish while fishing in a Whitney gravel pit. Richard Cook broke the record for the largest catfish ever caught at St John's Lake, uh, which is run by Linear Fisheries, smashing the previous record of 105 pounds. Mr Cook was out fishing the 18-acre site, which is well known among the carp fishing community, at the end of August. He was using double... And there's a bit of technical language here, so bear with me. He was using double-giant 21-millimetre pellets and a pop-up buoyant type of hook bait, most commonly used when fishing for carp. After wrestling the giant to the shore and taking several photos with the monster fish, Mr Cook released it back into the water. Lee Robbins of Linear Fisheries said, We've lost count of the anglers who, on their first visit to this lake, have caught a personal best carp or tench, catfish, pike or even bream here. Catfish regularly feature in catches, with the previous lake record set in 2021 at £105. Yes, my headline is Bike Thief Got Away With It, says Crime Fighting Mum. And there's a picture of her with a sign that says, Where's my bike, Dave? And she's smiling, actually. 
but the article is A Furious Mother Who Took the Fight Against Crime Into Her Own Hands and Picketed the Home of a Thief Who Had Stolen Her Son's Bike Said He Has Got Away With It. At Oxford Crown Court on Friday, David Seeger, 49, who stole eight bicycles in Whitney in a summer-long spree last year, swerved jail. Instead, he was given two years' imprisonment, suspended for two years, with requirements to complete a drug rehabilitation scheme and the Thinking Skills Programme. Fiona Bateman was left fuming after she said she saw Seeger pinch her son's mountain bike from their carport on Maidley Park on a neighbouring CCTV. Seeger of Fallowfield Crescent, Whitney, was repeatedly identified by social media users. But Mrs Bateman said, although she reported it to the police, not much was happening. She then set out to track him down, found where he lived and sat outside Seeger's house for three days with a placard reading, Where's My Bike, Dave? She was cheered on by social media users, wowed by the courageous mum's daring crime-fighting mission. The Spotted Whitney Facebook team even dropped off a hot chocolate and a bunch of flowers. Following the sentencing, she said, We had a bike stolen by him. Does that mean I should feel entitled to steal someone else's? It's just frustrating that he got a slap on the wrist. Where are the bikes? How about buying my son a new bike? We can't afford the four, five, six hundred pounds to replace it. He stole. So my son now has now to walk. But that's okay, just as long as Dave doesn't feel aggrieved. Seeger was interviewed by police a number of times. In court, he was shown footage of one theft that was captured on a CCTV, but Seeger denied it was him. He was said to have used bolt cutters to slice his way through locks in order to get away with bicycles ranging in value from a few hundred pounds to an e-bike worth about £2,000. One victim was said to have returned from an appointment to find that his bicycle, left locked outside a GP surgery in Whitney, had vanished. Another bicycle was taken from outside Whitney Leisure Centre, the court was told. Seeger was seen pedalling up on a different bike and abandoning it in favour of his victim's cycle. The stolen bicycle was later found dumped in the defendant's garden. Seeker's barrister, Peter Dufoe, characterised his attitude as I had my bike stolen, I've got mobility problems, so really I'm fairly callous about taking other people's bikes. Passages of the report were read out by the judge, with the probation officer describing Seeger as showing a sense of entitlement stealing bikes deliberately and brazenly, simply to get him from A to B. Our next article is about something exciting that's happening at Blenheim Palace. And the headline is, Exhibition has images by Woodstock artists. And here's the article. 
A new exhibition at Blenheim Palace features 21 talented artists from Woodstock and surrounding villages. Past and present, coming soon to the Stables Cafe at Blenheim Palace, is the latest show by the Artists in Woodstock group. The artists include a mix of first-time exhibitors and established professional artists across a variety of mediums, including paint, photography and sculpture. The diverse range of artists are each at different stages of their artistic careers. The group have explored their own personal histories and present experiences to create their works and include literal interpretations of images of the local area, but also it includes more personal and abstract art. A spokesman said, Here at Blenheim, we believe that understanding the past is instrumental to appreciating the present and to better prepare for the future. Involvement in art, heritage and culture has the power to enrich all of our lives and exploring the palace, the grounds, collections and exhibitions should be inspiring and enjoyable. We are thrilled to be able to support their journey. The Stables Cafe is open 10 till 5 p.m. daily and valid palace, park and garden tickets are required to visit the exhibition. Buy one day and get 12 months free when you choose to donate your admission ticket cost to Blenheim Palace. As a charity, ticket donations are vital for the restoration and conservation. And there's a picture here of two colourful-looking past and present paintings. My editor's choice this week comes from the Third Age Matters, which is the magazine produced by the U3A, University of the Third Age. It's entitled Getting Crafty. Do you remember how enjoyable it was as a child to get stuck into arty projects involving everything from cardboard, felt and fabric to crayons, paint and glue? Sadly, however, as the years go by, such simple pleasures very often get shelved. There's never enough time. We no longer have the confidence, or indeed, have any idea where to start. In recent years, though, the wonderful world of crafting has had something of a resurgence. The restrictions of the pandemic saw many of us look to creative projects to keep occupied, and since then, Sales of craft kits and materials have boomed. The likes of Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube and TikTok now provide a wealth of inspiration and advice to both would-be and experienced crafters, while sociable sessions, including many initiated through the U3A membership groups, have found growing popularity and achieved very impressive results. But tapping into your creative side is not only enjoyable, the physical and mental health benefits are immense too. For a start, absorbing pursuits can help the brain to calm down. Studies show that on average we process an astonishing 60,000 thoughts a day. When we focus attention on the task in hand, it allows the mind to get into a state of what is called flow, explains mindfulness and meditation subject advisor Mike Pupius, a member of the U3A Shepherd group, said, my wife, for instance, is a quilter 
and can spend several hours totally absorbed in what she's doing. These pursuits allow your brain to get into a calm and a positive state. Research confirms this is especially the case for activities that require a repetitive action such as knitting or cross-stitch, which helps the mind relax and in effect lowers heart rate, blood pressure and consequently stress levels. These steady crafts are also beneficial for cognitive skills. Activities that use both hands require concurrent, coordinated movements which stimulate both sides of the brain. A regular pursuit like this not only improves concentration, but taps into recognition and memory too. Not least, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> not least, crafting is a wonderful way to socialise, have fun and learn in a group. Doing something together breaks down barriers because you're all in the same boat, points out Mike. Having shared interests leads to new friendships and is a wonderful way to alleviate loneliness or a sense of isolation. Connecting with others at this time of life is so important. Finally, let's not forget that making something can also be incredibly rewarding. And even if your first attempts aren't the best, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You don't have to be good at crafting to take it up, says craft subject advisor Kelly Benton encouragingly. Just give it a go. You might surprise yourself. So, what if the end result isn't perfect? To my mind, the wobblier, the better. Craft subject advisor Kelly Benton, a member of the Ruthin and District U3A, runs a Facebook page, Craft U3A, and loves the sense of community it brings. It's wonderful to have a shared interest, and people join in from far and wide, she says. We share tips and advice, and seeing what everybody gets up to is so inspiring. We even had a couple of ladies decorating spectacles for fun. They were fantastic. Kelly's personal crafting passion is upcycling. I can't throw anything away, she admits. I even make jewellery from plastic bottles which are cut up or squashed beforehand like bangles and earrings. Once a month, creative members of the Waltham Abbey U3A gather around a table brimming with everything required to make beautiful cards, pretty gifts and decorative touches. We hold separate morning and afternoon sessions and everyone pays £5, explains organiser Marlene. That pays for all the materials used and anything left over goes towards our Christmas get-together. The atmosphere is relaxed and fun. We have a lovely time. It's very relaxed and great to share ideas and learn different techniques, Marlene says. Apart from creating a variety of different cards... We make everything from manicure kit pouches and wallets to mini clipboards and notebooks, flower brooches, hanging decorations and so much more. We only have one chap in our group at the moment, but more are welcome to join, of course. Now follows a photograph of the top of a round post box. It has a yellow knitted base with a tree and several colourful birds, including a blue tit. 
The Chandler's Ford U3A made headlines earlier this year when their wonderful toppers created to celebrate the group's 25th anniversary adorned the town's post boxes. The reaction was far and wide and was incredible, says member Sandra Claxton, who made the very first one and then went on to start a topper group which saw 12 ladies creating these eye-catching designs. As word spread, people got in touch because they wanted a list of all the toppers on display so they could do a tour of the town, she laughs. Since then, a craftist group takes place once a month in a room at the local church and now has 17 members busily learning new creative skills. We recently met to try our hand at iris folding, a paper folding craft, and we're shortly going to learn to make dorset buttons, Sandra says. We get involved in fantastic community projects too. For instance, we've been invited to knit dark green squares to make a big Christmas tree for our local residential home. We're also holding a craft session to make R-A-O-K, or Random Acts of Kindness, which are small gifts left in public places for people to find. We're very busy. Hello, I'd like to uh, introduce Jeff Reeve, who is our reflector for this evening. Thank you, Jeff. It's that time of year when uh, our churches are celebrating their Harvest Thanksgivings. In my church, we celebrated it two weeks ago, come this weekend. And it reminded me of hundreds of years ago when I was a youngster probably 10 or 11 and I had two good pals that we still see each other now we went to school together, we grew up together we played together we didn't have mobile phones or iPads or anything else in those days we made our own entertainment and we were always doing something David he was the same age as me we were in the same class at school Ronnie, his younger brother, he was two years younger, but he was always with us, whatever we'd done. In those days, our fathers, they always looked after the garden, and if you had to go out and buy a vegetable, it was a terrible thing. They had allotments as well, and we were told, you can come and help on the allotment. Ronnie wasn't happy with just helping on the allotment. He wanted a piece of garden of his own. And I was thinking of this during our Harvest Festival. Ronnie kept plaguing his father. I want a piece of garden. You don't need a piece of garden. You can help me. No, no, I want a piece of my own. So after a lot of plaguing, Ronnie agreed that he would have this piece of garden in the corner of his father's garden. And his father was made to put four kinds, one in each corner, to mark his plot. But Ronnie wasn't happy with that. He spent days finding stones and putting them in a bucket, and when he'd got enough, he placed them all round and made his boundary. Now David and myself, we were allowed to help him to dig this piece of garden. It wasn't very large. But once it had been dug and was all ready to be planted, we were told in no uncertain tones, you don't come on my garden, you keep off. 
The next thing was that Ronnie wanted to plant something. And so he keeps plaguing his father for some peas. You don't need to grow peas. We've got peas on the garden already planted. I want some peas. And so his father relented and he gave him some peas. Then Ronnie collected a handful of small sticks. What were these sticks going to be for? Everywhere Ronnie planted a pea, he put one of these small sticks by it. What are they for? It doesn't matter to you. I'm planting the garden. Keep off. He planted the peas, he watered them. And the next day when we got home from school and we were out going to play together, Ronnie was inspecting his garden, but no peas. The second day, he inspects his garden and he gets a small fork and where each stick was planted, he began to dig until he found the pea. And he had it out and he looked at it and put it back in. They're not growing. But he put them back in and he watered them well. Two days later, the same happened again. And his father kept telling him, don't be such a young fool. They won't grow while you keep digging them up. But they're not growing. But then something like seven, eight days, Ronnie was running round shouting. He was really jubilant. His peas were put in a chute out of the side. He was really excited. But if you keep digging them up, they're not going to grow. He said, leave it to me. I'm growing my peas. He put the peas back in and he watered them well. Two days later, Ron is out with his fork, digging them up. The shoots had definitely got longer and there were small roots coming out as well. He planted them back in and Dad tells him again, don't be such a young fool. These are not never going to do any good. But Ronnie wasn't happy. He dug them up every two days until one afternoon he went and looked and believe it or not, a green shoot was coming out of each one above the ground. He was really excited. After all the things he'd been told that he wasn't to do, these peas flourished. They actually did better than what his father's did. They cropped a lot better. A few years later, well, some years later, after Ronnie's dad had lost his wife, his father came to live four doors away from where I lived. And when the old gentleman was out in his garden during the summer evenings, I would take a walk along and have a chat with him. And you can guarantee that every time I spoke with him, he would say, do you remember when our Ronnie had that row of peas? And he said, believe it or not, they did better than mine. He did a lot better. It took some believing that digging these peas up as often as he did, that these would really grow. And that story just came to my mind of all those years ago, it's over 60 years ago, of Ronnie digging his peas up and the way that these peas flourished. And I think that one of the hymns that we sing at Harvest Festival time um, sums it all up for me. 
Can I just read? I'm not going to sing, don't worry. We plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. He sends the snow in winter, the warmth to swell the grain, the breezes and the sunshine and soft refreshing rain. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord, oh thank the Lord, for all his love. He only is the maker of all things near and far. He paints the wayside flower, he lights the evening star. The wind and waves obey him, by him the birds are fed. Much more to us his children, he gives our daily bread. We thank you then, O Father, for all things bright and good, the seed time and the harvest, our life, our health, our food. Accept the gifts we offer, for all your love imparts, and that which you most welcome, our humble, thankful hearts. Once again, we've seen a time of plenty. The Lord has provided for us, and we just give him all the thanks. Now it's time for the quiz. Uh, First of all, the questions from last week. Um, the edition on the 21st of September was entitled Odd One Out and the questions were these Um, which one of these questions concerning things we eat is the odd one out number one A. Tomato B. Cucumber C. Lettuce the answer is Lettuce, lettuce, because it's not a fruit. The other two are both fruits with seeds. Number two, A, Victoria, B, Brittany Gold, C, Mirabelle. And they are plums except Brittany Gold, which is an apricot. Number three, Rhode Island Red... Indian Runner, Plymouth Rock. Hens. Two of them are hens and the other one's a duck, which is Indian Runner is a duck. Uh, Number four, asparagus, celery, leeks. All my readers are looking very puzzled. The answer is leeks because they're modified leaves and not stems. Although you might have another answer, and right at the end of um, the sheet, which uh, the previous editor set, she says she is quite willing to allow other answers if the listeners have greater knowledge than her. <laughs> anyway. On with number five, Um, Cotswold Lion, Herdwick, Angora. Angora is the is the the odd one out because it's a a goat or a rabbit or a ferret apparently, not a sheep though. The other two are sheep. 
some yeah, things yeah. that go with some identity crisis. Um, and number six, Stinking Bishop, Blue Vinny, Strickleton. Stinking Bishop is cheese, yeah. I'd say the first and third, but it's middle ones. I think probably all cheese, but one isn't a blue cheese. Oh, well done, yes. They're all cheeses, but Stinking Bishop is not a blue cheese. Oh, really hard. (laughs) They were hard, I must admit. I wouldn't have known most of them unless I'd got the answers there. Um, I hope mine is slightly easier. So the... Moving, can I move straight on? Yeah. Moving on to uh, the quiz for today, the 28th of September. Um, all of the questions are about autumn. Number one, what is autumn known as in North America? Number two, which English romantic poet composed to autumn? after a walk near Winchester one autumnal evening. Number three. Pumpkin fragments dated between 7,000 and 5,500 BC have been found in which country? I've got four choices here. A. China B. Egypt C. Germany D. Mexico Question number four. Who did Autumn Kelly marry in May 2008? And the last one, number five. Bonfire Night takes place every November, but in which year did Guy Fawkes try to blow up Parliament? Time for the notice board. The Whitney Gazette has one death notice this week. It's for Joyce... Evelyn Moby, nay Muttock, sometimes known as Joycey. She died peacefully at Miller's Grange Care Home on the 17th of September 2023, aged 89 years. The funeral service will take place at St Giles Church, Standlake, on Thursday the 12th of October at 12.30pm. Family flowers only. Donations to Dementia UK. We now have an announcement from the Torch Fellowship. Whitney Talk Fellowship, Torch Fellowship for the Visually Impaired meets on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm in the Welcome Church High Street, Whitney. New members are very welcome. Contact 01993 891 639. Clarkson launches Chadlington's new kit. So here we go with another story about Jeremy. Chadlington Football Club, which is Jeremy Clarkson's local team, has shared its new kit with the world. The team are sponsored by Diddley Squat Farm and featured in episode three of the hit series Clarkson's Farm Season 2 on Amazon Prime. Mr Clarkson started to sponsor the club in November 2021 and admitted in the latest series of Clarkson's Farm it was to gain the support of Chadlington residents opposed to his burgeoning farm shop. He said in his show, if I was going to win over the village, I would need a much grander gesture, so I thought of one. 
However, it seems Clarkson's love of football and Chadlington has made him much more than just an absentee sponsor, as he is regularly seen at the games. Pictures of the new kit were shared online this week, with Mr Clarkson modelling alongside his partner Lisa Hogan and trusty farm companion Caleb Cooper. The kit is adorned with vertical blue and white stripes and shares a striking resemblance to a championship side from Yorkshire. Nice kit from a Sheffield Wednesday fan, said one commentator. So far this season, Chadlington FC has made a flying start, winning both their opening games against Cassington Rangers FC and Spartan Rangers, respectively. Their next game is at home to Coombe Junior Sports. The replica shirt is being sold for £30. And I would say, come on, Coombe, since that's my village. Uh, I've got another football story. Um, This one is about the professional game. The headline, Spot on Cameron is used penalty king. And the story reads, Oxford United boss Liam Manning said there's no player in League One he would rather have taking a penalty than his midfield maestro Cameron Brannigan. Brannigan converted two late spot kicks to seal a scintillating 3-0 win over high-flying rivals Exeter City in front of more than 10,000 people at the Kassam Stadium on Saturday. It's a result that has lifted Manning's men up to second in the league table. Brannigan's double came after Ruben Rodriguez headed the U's into an early lead from Kyle Edwards' cross. Rodriguez and Edwards stood out, with Rodriguez brought down for the first penalty. (laughs) Brannigan showed strong nerves in sending the second spot kick the same way as the first, outwitting goalkeeper Vijami Sinisalo, who for the second one dived the wrong way. Oxford's head coach, Manning, said... I'm probably not the man to ask about penalties because I've never taken one in my life. But I have so much confidence in Cam, I think he thrives on it. He steps up. I'm delighted because he's been desperate to score and desperate to contribute in terms of goals. For me, I wouldn't want anyone else in the division taking it. I feel so confident when he steps up and his record speaks for itself. Manning was delighted by a successive, second successive clean sheet in the league and how well Oxford defended, and they still had it in them to punish Exeter on the counter-attack at the end. It's a team game impact, he said. Josh Murphy came on and made an impact and we did well on the counter. We've done really well with that this season. We've got such pace in the side and people that can and most importantly are willing to run. For me, we never lose that threat. We may be backs against the wall for 10 minutes, but we're still just as dangerous when we do do turn the ball over with the quality we have to go on and hurt teams. I was pleased most of all with the clean sheet. I'm proud of the players because I thought they really showed what they are about as a group of people. I feel the group are growing. The lads have such respect for each other. For me, it felt like quite a big moment in terms of finding a different way to win, which in the past we maybe haven't done. 
That shows the progress we are making. Exeter City's manager, Gary Caldwell, was a little shorter in his words. We got off to a poor start and gave away a really bad goal, which made it difficult, he said. Yeah, my headline is Council approves lease for new United Stadium build. Oxfordshire County Council has agreed to lease a piece of land in Kidlington to Oxford United for its new stadium. At a cabinet meeting yesterday, councillors voted to lease the Triangle south of Kidlington Roundabout to the club. Although a huge step forward for the use, the club still requires planning approval from Cherwell District Council as the local planning authority. Councillor Liz Leftman, leader of the council, said a key factor for the Cabinet in reaching this decision has been to bring long-term benefit to communities in Oxfordshire. Officers had, a, had proposed the sale of the land, but following their debate at the Cabinet meeting, councillors decided to opt for the leasing of the land. While the lease has been agreed, important conditions have been imposed. These include that the club must be given planning permission by Cherwell District Council. The club must produce a net zero plan that is fully costed and comes with clear timescales and outcomes from design, construction and full operation of the stadium. Also, the club must provide detail of how it will meet the commitments made in its submissions to the County Council so far and also the restrictive covenants will be put in place that will set aside the use of the land for football slash community sports slash leisure sports stadia in perpetuity with limited commercial activities permitted only within the stadium footprint. Councillor Leftman said, we have asked the club to spell these out as they now develop their plans through the planning process and we will insist on them through the conditions we place on a future contract. It is now for the club to demonstrate that they can develop the detailed proposals to meet the aspirations they set out in their statements to us and to the public. If they fail to do this, we will not sign. Once again, we would like to thank everyone who has taken part in this extensive and thorough process. The next step for the club is to submit a planning application and residents will once again be able to share their views as part of this process. The club's licence agreement at the Kassam Stadium runs out in 2026. Councillor Susan Brown, leader of Oxford City Council, said Oxford City Council are strong supporters of Oxford United and their fans and have been over many decades, including providing land for their training facilities at Oxford Sports Park. We want what's in the best interests of Oxford United and the fans, and so we're delighted that Oxfordshire County Council has a Agreed to provide the club land to build a new stadium. With new training facilities and a new stadium secured, 
we hope Oxford United has the platform to thrive, grow and get back to the successes I remember growing up in Oxford in the 1980s. And there's a very nice picture of a whole load of fans in the Kassam Stadium. Now we have two small pieces, um, both very different from one another. And the first is a lovely story about Cotswold Wildlife Park. And the headline is, Care Resident 91 has Dream Day Out and a meeting with Park's Lion. And it reads, A visit to one of her favourite childhood places was a wish come true for a 91-year-old animal lover. Megan Somerville used to take regular family trips to the local zoo and while volunteering as a brown owl with her local brownies group. The team at Care UK's Miller's Grange on Kerbridge Road in Whitney set out to make Megan's wish come true by arranging her first trip back to Cotswold Wildlife Park in many years. Mrs Somerville enjoyed a VIP experience. She said, It was such a unique experience I never imagined I'd have the chance to do. Stroking the rhinos, meeting the giraffes and seeing the lions up close was amazing. And there's a lovely picture of Megan surrounded by um, Cotswold staff, three ladies from Miller's Grange and Century the Giraffe. And the second article is Thames Valley did not cover Met officers. And it reads, no armed officers from the Thames Valley have been drafted in to cover shortages in London, the force confirmed. It followed reports that dozens of Metropolitan Police officers were refusing to perform armed duties after a colleague was charged with murder last week. The BBC reported that about 100 of the Met's almost 2,600 gun-carrying police had handed back their ticket with cover drafted in from neighbouring forces. However, Thames Valley Police said it had not provided cover under so-called mutual aid rules. The Tri-County Force has more than 180 deployable armed officers, the largest number outside London, Greater Manchester and West Midlands Police. The armed, the armed forces were put on standby amid fears that London's police force would need military backup to help it cover its counter-terrorism duties. Uh, this article is entitled Revamped Hotel is Told to Take Down Its Outdoor Bar. A boutique hotel has been ordered to remove an outdoor bar it put up to allow outside dining during covid the Double Red Duke in Clanfield is a 17th-century coaching inn which was given a stylish makeover to turn it into a luxury country hotel in 2020. The former Plough Inn was remodelled by husband and wife Georgie and Sam Pierman, who gave the hotel the new name which is taken from a local folk tale about a philanthropist farmer known as the Double Red Duke. Retrospective permission for the bar was refused by West Oxfordshire District Council in June 2022. The hotel appealed but lost, and the council has now said the bar must be taken down by the end of October. The planning inspector found that the bar harmed the setting of the Grade 2 listed building, which, he said, can be seen from all neighbouring streets as well as the northern end of the green, 
Although the bar was built in silvered oak to blend in, he found that, due to the non-vernacular materials and its scale and, and sighting, the bar was a, quote, particularly prominent feature which dilutes the experience of the approach and surroundings of the listed building and detracts from its main façade, end quote. Hotelier Georgina Pierman had argued that post-Covid, customers' habits have changed and they prefer to dine outdoors and the bar was a useful distribution point for food and service and improved supervision of work. The planning inspector said this was largely dependent on the weather and there was limited evidence that there has been a shift towards drinking and dining outdoors. Indeed, there are public houses and hotels that operate post-COVID without any outdoor drinking and dining facilities, he wrote. He added that staff serving the outdoor area could also take orders and he was not persuaded by her argument that people did not want to go into the hotel in case they disturbed other guests. He said in any case, customers using the outdoor area are likely to use the indoor facilities, such as toilets. While some financial information about the business has been provided, it is unclear from this how the bar has been a significant benefit for the business. Therefore, it has not been proven that the bar is necessary for securing the optimum viable use of the hotel, he said. The inspector concluded that he did not consider the suggested benefits to be sufficiently forceful to outweigh the lesser than substantial harm that I have identified and the great weight that must be given to the conservation of heritage assets. And I have two more short stories to read to you. First one, the headline is, Councillor is off to Labour from Lib Dems. A councillor has defected from the Liberal Democrats to the Labour Group on West Oxfordshire District Council. Matthew Parkinson, who represents the ward of Stonesfield and Tackley, was elected to the council in 2021 as a Lib Dem. The council's proper officer received a notice on September the 18th confirming the switch. Mr Parkinson has been contacted for comment about his decision. But obviously he hadn't replied by the time the Gazette went to press. The district is run by a coalition of Liberal Democrats, Labour and the Greens. In his notice, a review of the political proportionalities on committees was also requested. Mr Parkinson is chairman of the Audit and Governance Committee and he's vice-chairman of the Licensing Committee on the District Council. So the second piece uh, is headed Revamped 16th Century Pub Gets Maximum Score. Two eateries have received maximum scores for food hygiene, including a 16th century pub in the heart of the Cotswolds. New ratings have been awarded to two of West Oxfordshire's establishments. The Food Standards Agency's websites shows. The first is the Swan Inn in Shipton Road, Ascot under Witchwood, which was handed a 5 out of 5 rating after an assessment on September the 14th. The 16th Century Pub is operated by Lion Hearth, which also owns the Checkers in Churchill, 
the black horse in Salford and the cock inn in Coombe. Secondly, hoofs, a takeaway in Delhi in Marigold Square on Shilton Park in Carterton, was also given a score of five on September the 5th. And this little piece comes with a picture. You might wonder what it's got to do with the story, but it's a picture of a cat. And I'm imagining that hoofs caters for pets as well as people. And here are two different opinions on the 20 mile an hour speed limit. The first headline is 20 mile per hour dilemma. On a car journey at the weekend, I was surprised to see a whole plethora of 20 mile per hour speed signs have sprung up everywhere. Some of it even on quiet country roads with no other traffic in sight. I wondered what the ordinary car driver should do in this situation. Does he break the law and become a criminal by ignoring these signs and drives down the empty road at a normal pace? A law, by the way, the police have indicated they have neither the resources or the inclination to enforce. Or does the driver drive down an empty road at 20 miles an hour, thus endorsing the dogma of the politicians who brought in this legislation in the first place? I think it's a shame an ordinary law-abiding driver could be put in this situation and, as I have said before, slowing the traffic down must increase the time cars have the opportunity to pollute our streets with their exhaust fumes, which represents an increased dangers to public health. I think the whole scheme should be scrapped at the earliest opportunity I wonder if the politicians who brought in this policy would care to comment on the above. And the other article is about 20 mile an hour speed limits. And it's referring to the first letter there. Bob Hounslow's recent letter and the response from Vincent Boyle both miss a central point about the 20 miles per hour speed limit. The really important function of the limit is surely to cut fatalities when pedestrians and cars collide. This is estimated by the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents to be a reduction from an 8% fatality rate at 30 miles an hour to 1.5% at 20 miles an hour. And for the last story of... Today, we are back in the world of dobles and soggy bottoms. And this one is entitled, Prue's Bake Off Back on Screens. And this is the article. It reads, Dame Prue Leith is set for a big payday with the return of one of TV's most popular shows, The Great British Bake Off. Dame Prue, who has downsized from the 17th century Georgian manor house Chasselton Glebe, which she lived in for nearly 50 years, to a modern barn near Morton in Marsh, keeps her salary hidden. However, when she first joined the show in 2017, replacing Dame Mary Berry, her contract suggested she was paid £200,000 a season. The judge's pay is not published, but it is suggested to have increased. She is now believed to have a net worth of over 85 million, reports The Sun, gained from selling books, being one of the best chefs in her field, 
and appearing on television. Meanwhile, it was reported that head judge Paul Hollywood got a rise after moving from the BBC to Channel 4. Reports suggested that over three years, the baker earned £400,000 per series, making £1.2 million from the show. However, that contract has now ended and he is likely to be paid even more now. The baking contest returned last night, welcoming 12 contestants, including Tasha, a participation officer from Bristol, the first deaf baker. And Dame Prue revealed that she has learnt sign language ahead of the show. She said, She had a signer, so we all learnt a bit of sign language. Paul was terrific, and he learnt a lot of language. I just about managed to learn to say good luck and well done, she told Radio Times. Also among the contestants is Sri Lankan-born intelligent analyst Saku, 50, vegetable grower and delivery driver Abby, 27, from Cumbria, North London deli and grocery manager Amos, 43, East London PA Christie, 33, and Nikki, 52, a retired cabin crew member from the West Midlands. Also competing this season is Dan, 42, a civil engineering resource planner from Cheshire, Dana, 25, a database administrator from Essex, Josh, 27, from Leicestershire, chartered accountant Keith, 60, from Hampshire, Matt, 28, a Cambridgeshire PE and science teacher, and finally, student, student Rowan, 21. This morning, presenter Alison Hammond is co-hosting a show alongside Noel Fielding, replacing Matt Lucas, who joined the Bake Off in 2020. Last year, Dame Prue told the Oxford Mail, I think people love it because they know what they're going to get. It's totally reliable. Nobody is going to be horrible. It's warm. It's like a duvet blanket. The most stress you get in Bake Off is when somebody's gelatine doesn't set or they're running late and they can't finish the decoration. And it's a lovely show to be on. Nobody believes me when I say this, but it's absolutely true. I've been on that show now for six or seven years and I've never heard anyone, none of the crew, anybody, be rude to each other or any kind of row. Presumably somebody must have got crossed with somebody somewhere, but I've never caught them at it. The whole atmosphere just doesn't lead to fisticuffs. And there's a large picture of a typically flamboyant-looking Dame Prue Leith outside her new barn home in Morton in Marsh. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several ways to listen to all of our editions, including magazines. Full details can be found on our website, wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link to listen online. If on any week you do not receive your stick, or if there's a problem with producing them, you can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993 555 986. Keep listening at the end of this edition for the radio and audio described TV listings. That's all we have time for this week now. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the, the address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. 
Just a reminder that this is a free service from the post office and the package can be placed in any post box. Please post it back as soon as possible as we sometimes run out of pouches and labels, which means we cannot continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, please put a slip of paper into your pouch and we will then phone you. I'd like to thank the Whitney Cassette for the articles we have used tonight. Thanks also go to our technical expert, Graham Diacon, and also to Debbie Diacon, Alan Revell, Barbara Barringer and Adam Lethbridge, who have been the readers tonight. I'd like to thank the people who will be copying this material to you, that is Debbie Diacon and Alan Ravel. In addition, we'd like to thank our Edmund volunteers who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping the records in our register. They're Doreen Turner and Nigel James. I know everybody here would like to say good night. So, until our next edition... Good TNF Soundings Features from across the UK Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights starting with Saturday, September 30th And you could have a really early start with Tony Blackburn and his Sounds of the 60s on Radio 2 from 6 till 8am or perhaps a bit more of a lie-in Listen to Alan Titchmarsh on Classic FM. His programme starts at 7am. Simon Callow has My Dream Dinner Party on Radio 4 with guests Peggy Ramsey, Orson Welles, Barry Humphreys, Christopher Hitchens and Princess Margaret. Radio 4, 10.30 in the morning. James Nocty's guest reflecting this week is a former American Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator Valerie Amos. Reflections is at 11am, Saturday, Radio 4. Neurologist Jules Montague and William Miller conclude their look at the rare forms of dementia with Joe, who's been diagnosed with progressive asphasia, formerly known as semantic dementia. She's losing her ability to speak, write and read. Dementia, unexpected stories of the mind, Radio 4, Saturday afternoon, 245 when teenage Noreen arrives in the east of London, a world away from her life in Bangladesh, she hears that her sister's situation in Dhaka is worsening. Can Noreen really leave things up to fate this time? The drama Brick Lane is on Radio 4 on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Well, also at 3, Sound of Cinema. George Fenton, film and TV composer, discusses his rich and varied life with Matthew Sweet on Radio 3 at three. While in October 1973, the Arab oil producers increased the price of oil, resulting in high inflation for the developed world and an end to the post-war economic boom. Archive on four, how the Yom Kippur War changed everything for everyone, is on Radio 4, Saturday night, 8pm. On to Sunday, October 1st. Lauren Laverne's castaway this week is comedian Catherine Ryan. Desert Island Discs, 11.15, Sunday morning, Radio 4. John York explores Flora Thompson's account of rural life through the fictional character Laura Timmins 
He goes on to see how Thompson left school at 14, went on to write the instant bestseller Lark Rise to Candleford. Opening lines at 2.45 on Radio 4. And then, as all Sundays, it's then followed by the cast of The Archers performing Lark Rise. Laura is a bookish girl with a vivid imagination, struggles to fit in with the local children, but must take charge of her own destiny. The drama Lark Rise to Ambridge is at 3 o'clock on Radio 4. Those two programmes always connected, opening lines and then the drama that follows on a Sunday afternoon. How does the story of bloodthirsty warriors, long-surfing women and meddling gods sound, especially if they feature brummy voices? I won't do mine. Find out, drama on three, the brummy Iliad, 7.30, Sunday night, Radio 3. And lastly for Sunday, Moira Stewart starts a new series of Moira Stewart Meets. Tonight her guest is Jay Blades, best known for presenting the television programme The Repair Show. It's all at Classic FM at 9pm, rounding off your weekend. On to programmes then that are broadcast each day at the same time all week. So same time, same radio station, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week is How to Be a Renaissance Woman, an alternative history of the Renaissance, providing a window into women's often overlooked or silenced lives. 9.45 each morning on Radio 4. Composer of the Week this week is Jose Mauricio Nunes Garcia, the Afro-Brazilian, the Afro-Brazilian composer regarded as the father of Brazilian classical music. Composer of the Week, 12 noon, each weekday, Radio 3. Hannah Fry continues her data search for the solution to some of society's most enduring mysteries, and this week looking at happiness and why it's U-shaped. Uncharted with Hannah Fry, 145, Radio 4. Siobhan Redmond reads from Denise Mina's novel Following the Plot to Murder Mary, Queen of Scots, Secretary, the Italian David Rizzio. Book at Bedtime, Rizzio, 10.45, all week on Radio 4. While on Radio 3 at the same time, the SA Rain Song in Five Senses. Five different countries, India, Japan, Australia, France and finally England and their relationship with rain. It's the SA, each weeknight, 10.45 on Radio 3. Monday, October 2nd, Jenny Gleeman hears about the anxieties of navigating a newfound racial identity in part four of The Gift, subtitled Race. Radio 4, Monday morning, 11am. How about a breath of fresh air? It's the title of the drama on Radio 4 Extra at 3. Lavoisier is a brilliant chemist and a proud French citizen, but someone wants his downfall. Will they succeed? Radio 4 Extra, 3 o'clock. Mahler's Ninth Symphony and a short companion piece from the relatively young composer Rick van Veldhuizen feature in Radio 3 in concert on Monday evening at 7.30pm. While the Radio Times pick of the day is redeeming Ricky, ex-offender Ricky Gleeson has set up Hoodex, a sustainable charity in South Shields. Having grown up homeless and the after a life of petty crime, he joined the Royal Navy and turned his life around. He's driven by the need to help others in the way he was helped. Redeeming Ricky, 8pm, Radio 4. Tuesday, October 3rd, and may I suggest another early start? Well, Zoe Ball on Radio 2 welcomes Michael Caine as her guest. They talk about his life and his latest film, The Great Escaper, which also stars the late Glenda Jackson in what, of course, became her final film. Zoe starts on Radio 2 
at 6.30 in the morning, but I suspect this interview will be a bit later than that. And you can also always listen back on BBC Sounds if you miss it. How to Win a Campaign continues with former advisor to Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings and Vote Leave insider Cleo Watson. This week she looks at how information is gathered about us via polling and focus groups. How to Win a Campaign, 9.30, Tuesday morning, Radio 4. If you knew then what you know now, what would you tell yourself? The question Kirsty Young puts to her guests as she takes them to meet their younger selves. Young Again, Radio 4, 11am. When everything grinds to a halt at a railway station, one person claims to have been there longer than the others. The drama, we apologise for any inconvenience, will explain all when you listen to Radio 4 at 2.15 on Tuesday. As it's Tuesday, In Touch with Peter White is in the usual slot at 8.40pm on Radio 4. The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum on Radio 2 at 9. And maybe end the day with a comedy? Jonathan Pye claims he's a victim of cancel culture. Call Jonathan Pye closes Choices at 11pm on Radio 4. Wednesday, October 4th, more or less in which Tim Harford explains and often debunks numbers and statistics used in everyday life. Radio 4, 9am. Followed by, did you know cooking tomatoes can help your heart, your skin and reduce risk of cancer? Michael Mosley and his guest, Professor Richard Van Bremen, discuss how it helps. Just one thing with Michael Mosley, Radio 4, 9.30 on Wednesday morning. Comedian Alexi Sale takes a train journey from London to Hollyhead, where he meets an actor going to Landudno, a woman returning from visiting two eccentric aunts, an organisational psychologist who helps people discover what they really want to do in life, and a customer service assistant whose most famous customers are the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, now, of course, the Prince and Princess of Wales. Alexi Sale, Strangers on a Train, Radio 4, 11.30 in the morning. Drama on 4 is Fault Lines, Money, Sex and Blood, Five linked original dramas starring Glenda Jackson. In the second episode, Blood Between Two Worlds, Constance is trying to find the murderer among her family. Could it be her 12-year-old great-niece, Lily, or the new carer, Josie? Find out, 2.15 on Radio 4. Radio 3 features Beethoven Overture, Egmont, Bartok's Violin Concerto No. 2, and Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 4 in F minor. Radio 3 in concert, 7.30pm, on Radio 3. And you can end the day with The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe on Radio 2 at 9. Thursday, October 5th, are induction hobs a good economic choice and a safer bet for indoor air pollution than gas cookers? And can they affect pacemakers? Some of the questions to be answered by Greg Foote in Sliced Bread on Radio 4 at 12.25. Great listen, that. Really good programme. The story of a race against time to locate a child who's being smuggled through Dublin Airport is told in drama, Swans, on Radio 4 at 2.15. Claire Balding continues the second of her two walks on the Rhines of Galloway in southern Scotland, where she meets Peter Ross, who runs a walking for health group, and Margaret Hughes, who's one of the members and registered blind following an acquired brain injury. Ramblings on Radio 4, Thursday afternoon, 3 o'clock. And why aren't young people filling the gaps in the plumbing and electrical trades? Evan Davis and guests discuss what can be done to persuade more people to train for what can be a lucrative career. The bottom line, tradespeople, Radio 4, 8.30pm. 
Finally, Friday, October 6th, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie tell the inside story of their breakout sketch show hit, A Bit of Fry and Laurie, and explain how they, to preserve their own idiosyncratic voice, wrote their own scripts. They also reveal why, after four series, they decided to move on. Hear why in What's Funny About a Bit of Fry and Laurie, Radio 4, Friday morning, 11.30. Martha Kearney, a multi-medal winning Olympic rower, Dame Catherine Granger, discussed the portrait of Mercedes Gleach, the first British woman to swim the channel and the first person on record to swim the Straits of Gibraltar. Close encounters on Radio 4 at 2.45 on Friday afternoon. If you have a problem in the garden, perhaps Gardener's Question Time can help at 3 o'clock on Radio 4. Well, finally, there's a profile of Percy Granger in Monsters of Music with Tom Allen on Radio 4 Extra, Friday night at 9. That's it. Thank you to John for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. Hello, this is Lizzie from Altley Talking News with Val's selection of audio-described TV programmes starting... Saturday the 30th of September to Friday the 16th of October 2023. Let's see what we can find that may interest you this week. We start with Saturday the 30th of September. Professor Alice Roberts goes on the trail of the great beasts of the Ice Age. In Ice Age Giants on BBC Two at 10am. The Chef Goes West in Ainsley's Good Mood Food at 12.35pm on ITV One. Sergeant Sid James oversees a bunch of bungling bobbies in the comedy film Carry On Constable at 12.50pm on Film Four. More comedy from the Home Guard Platoon in Dad's Army at 6pm on BBC Two. Tess Daly and Claudia Winkleman welcome the 50 new couples to the dance floor in Strictly Come Dancing on BBC One at 6.20pm. Rumours are rife after Isabel's father comes under suspicion in the third episode of the Australian thriller Black Snow at 9pm on BBC4. Episode 4 follows at 9.50pm. Investigators hunt for the mastermind behind the continued bombing campaign in Indonesia. In the final episode of the drama Bali 2002 at 1045 on ITV1. We end the evening with archive interviews with leading big screen actors, including Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, James Stewart, John Wayne, and Dustin Hoffman in Parkinson Hollywood Men at 11.45 on BBC4. Now, on to Sunday the 1st of October. Sunday with Laura Koonsberg, featuring interviews with politicians and key public figures, is on BBC One at 9am. Songs of Praise celebrates Harvest at Hazelnut Community Farm 
in Bristol at 1.15pm on BBC One. Strictly Come Dancing, the results, is on BBC One at 7.15pm. In the last leg of his tour, Jamie Oliver heads to Marseille. Jamie Cooks the Mediterranean is at 8pm on Channel 4. A new four-part drama series, Boiling Point, starts tonight, following on from the 2021 film of the same name. A group of potential investors are in the dining room of New London restaurant Point North. Meanwhile, head chef and co-owner Carly battle demons while chaos in the kitchen pushes her staff to the limit. Boiling Point is at 9pm on BBC One. Bob and Paul head to the tidal outcrop of Borough Island, off the coast of South Devon, and spend a night at the beach house where Agatha Christie wrote several of her novels. Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing is on BBC Two at 9pm. Beginning a new documentary series to mark Black History Month, Dr Zoe Williams celebrates 75 years of the NHS by talking to four pioneering black doctors who are shaking the world of medicine. Fresh Cuts is on ICV1 at 10.40pm. Now for those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15. Bargain Hunt is at 12.15. And Escape to the Country is at 3pm Monday to Friday. Doctors is at 1.45 Monday to Thursday. All these programmes are on BBC One. James Martin's British Adventure is on ITV1 at 2pm Monday to Friday. Great Canadian Railway Journeys is at 3.45pm on BBC2 Monday to Friday. On BBC4, the Nature Series Life is at 7pm Monday to Thursday. Heartbeat is on ITV3 at 5.55pm and 6.55pm, Monday to Friday. Let's have a look at Monday the 2nd of October. More contestants sit in the black chair in Mastermind at 7.30pm on BBC Two. Jimmy helps to bring in a harvest of sea clams in Jimmy Doherty's New Zealand at 8pm on Channel 4. Bangi University take on the University of Edinburgh in University Challenge on BBC Two at 8.30pm. A new documentary series starts tonight, exploring the formation of the United Kingdom beginning with the story of the first attempts to create a united Britain from the 1600s to 1707. Union with David Olusoga is on BBC Two at 9pm. 
In the devastating aftermath of more murders, the police realize there could be a serial killer at large. The drama, The Long Shadow, is on ITV1 at 9pm. Next, a Time Watch documentary investigating the gunpowder plot of 1605, when a group of devout Catholic Englishmen became so radicalised and intent on mass murder, they attempted to destroy the Houses of Parliament. The gunpowder plot, Time Watch, is on BBC4 at 10pm. Now for Tuesday, the 3rd of October. Fiona Bruce and Philip Mull investigate a painting bought at an online auction in Monaco for £2,700. But it could be worth £100,000 if it is a genuine work by Sir Joshua Reynolds. Fake or Fortune is on BBC One at 8pm. It's Biscuit Week in this week's The Great British Bake Off at 8pm on Channel 4. After a dead body is discovered, covered in live rabbits, Barnaby and Winter unearth a sinister side to the local pet show. Midsummer Murders is at 8pm on ITV3. By the 1960s and 70s, only a dedicated few were committed to hunting down Nazi war criminals. Among them was Beata Klaasfeld, a German woman determined to find unpunished Nazis, including the Butcher of Lyon, Klaus Barbie, who had fled to Bolivia. Rise of the Nazis, the manhunt, is on BBC Two at 9pm. Now for a fact-based drama detailing what was really going on behind closed doors in Downing Street during the early days of the pandemic, when the general public was subject to severe restrictions on their freedom. Partygate is on Channel 4 at 9.30pm. Wednesday the 4th of October A 17th century painting, a toy yellow submarine and a vintage sewing machine are brought to the repair shop at 8pm on BBC One. On tonight's menu are egg fried rice, stir fried chicken gelfrezi and cardamom infused ice cream biscuit bars in Nadia's Simple Spices, at 8pm on BBC Two. Several choices at nine tonight. The teams must navigate their way from the Mediterranean island of Corsica to the third checkpoint in Zermatt, a mountain resort nestled in the Swiss Alps, in the third episode of Celebrity Race Across the World at 9pm on BBC One. Stacey Dooley helps more people to unlock secrets in their DNA in tonight's episode of DNA Family Secrets at 9pm on BBC Two. Another new crime drama starts tonight. 
Lexi Noble's idyllic family life in Edinburgh is placed in jeopardy when her husband is attacked, and links with the notorious crime lord Cal Morris begin to emerge. Payback is on ITV One at nine pm. Danny plans to build a stylish and sustainable four-bedroom house in the garden of his Lincolnshire bungalow. Will the three hundred thousand pounds budget match up to the engineering challenges of the project? Find out in Grand Designs at nine pm on Channel Four. Let's have a look at Thursday, the fifth of October. When a family's possessions are laid out in a giant warehouse, they include seventy-one pairs of leggings, eighty-eight towels, thirty-two dog bowls, and over a thousand toys. Will they be persuaded to have a life-changing declutter? Find out in Sort Your Life Out with Stacey Solomon at eight p.m. on BBC One. When two fossil hunters in Whitby are cut off by the tide, the RNLI crew race to the rescue, only to find that they too are in grave danger. Saving lives at sea is on BBC Two at eight p.m. Joe Brand is joined by Richard Osman to chew over the events of Biscuit Week. In the Great British Bake Off, an extra slice, at eight p.m. on Channel Four. A fly on the wall documentary follows new recruits at the British Army's Infantry Training Centre in Catterick, North Yorkshire, who will have what it takes to become an infantry soldier. Find out in Soldier, at nine p.m. on BBC One. Examining the celebrated Spanish artists' later years, the final episode of the documentary series Picasso: The Beauty and the Beast is on BBC Two at nine pm. Martin Clunes explores the secret lives of Britain's army of guide dogs as he adopts retired guide dog Laura from blind fitness guru Gina Mystery. The film follows Gina as she tries to find a replacement for Laura, visiting Guide Dogs National Base in Leamington Spa, where they breed up to one thousand five hundred puppies a year. A dog called Laura is on ITV One at nine p.m. Finally, we come to Friday, the sixth of October. A new series. Of a sitcom loved by millions returns tonight. With their B&B gone, Mike strives to fix their finances, but it's April Fool's Day, and Alison is out for revenge. Ghosts is on BBC One at eight thirty p.m. Although not audio described. You may enjoy a new series of the satirical quiz. Have I got news for you? On BBC One at nine pm. A double bill of Father Brown on the Drama Channel tonight 
starting at 8pm with the time machine. A man tries to prove a member of his family killed his father. Beginning a night of programmes dedicated to Elton John, although not audio described, this compilation charts his career through archive footage of live performances and interviews. Elton John at the BBC is at 9pm on BBC4 and is followed by Elton John in concert at 10pm and Elton John uncensored at 10.30pm. We end the week with a film. Tom Cruise races against time to avert a nuclear disaster in the spy adventure Mission Impossible Fallout on Film 4 at 9pm. TNF Soundings 